You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Macaroni and cheese ice cream? What's wrong with you? <laughs> just, and you should have all learned this from Jurassic Park. Just because science allows you to do it doesn't mean you should. Well, it's good to be with you this morning as we conclude our series on the irrational Jesus. We have three texts this morning uh, that we'll read through. Don't leave. Uh, they all have a common thread through them. Let's see what God might have in store for us today. Our first text is from the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter. Uh, it'll be on the screens and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he answered them, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Our next gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, beginning with the 5th verse. Then Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. <laughs> Simon Peter then said to him, Lord, not my feet uh, only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. And then finally, uh, our third text is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the second chapter, also beginning with the fifth verse. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
So during this series, this irrational series about the irrational Jesus and this kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim, we've talked about Jesus being fully divine and also fully human, knowing that we have blind spots. It's not a sin to have a blind spot, but not correcting for them just may be. And then we leaned into this, this kingdom that Jesus came to establish, and we looked at the parable of the unjust steward, the steward who changes someone's bill, but he is commended for it. And this, this parable doesn't make any sense unless this kingdom has captured us, moving from economy to economy, not, in, not an economy of stuff or mammon, but an economy of abundance and God's manna. God's providence for us. And then we talked about how to best uh, live into this kingdom, this kingdom of joy, this kingdom of selflessness. If you remember the supermassive multiplayer thumb war that we played uh, last week, what, what does it mean to experience this kingdom that takes us out of ourselves? It'd be one thing to keep this kingdom all to ourselves as if it was secret language that only the privileged should have, but that is not the gospel. So today, how are we best to share this gospel with the world? Here's the punchline. Every human interaction is a game between high status and low status. And we, as the body of Christ, in order to effectively share the gospel, must navigate this game well. Every human interaction is this interesting game that we play between high status and low status. Who is seemingly important? Who is seemingly unimportant? We do this in very tiny ways. Sometimes we do this in very big ways. This is just an example of what a high status conversation might look like. It'll be on the screens here. Uh, two people having a conversation. The first one says, what do you like to read when you have the time? Person B says, well, more recently, I have generally gone for the later works of Tolstoy. Person A says, ah, well, I remember War and Peace vividly from my childhood. All right, so what's going on here in this conversation? Well, first, person A, person A is playing a low status. What do you like to read when you have the time? They're lifting up the other person. They're suggesting that, one, they read, and two that they are very busy and they don't have much time to read. So he's lifting them up. He plays a low status and lifts the other person up. Well, the other person responds by lifting himself up and playing a high status. Ah, oh, yes, I do read. And most recently, I've been enjoying the later works of Tolstoy. Right? How many have read Tolstoy? Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. A couple of all-stars. And it was playing high status to get into heaven back there. That's fine. Uh, Tolstoy. Uh, but then person A replies and responds to this, also playing a high status. Oh, yes, I remember War and Peace vividly from my childhood, right? This is what a high status conversation looks like. Both are trying to one-up the other, trying to be the high status person in the conversation. High status is just a way of getting what you want. It's what we, and we all do it. We all do. Low status uh, is a similar thing. Uh, uh, we, high status and low status neither have a moral value necessarily. They're just means of getting what 
we think we want. Low status is similar. Imagine two people uh, coming into a room and one person holds the door open for the next and says, after you. And the other person says, no, 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 after you. Oh, no, 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 I insist, please. Oh, no, no, I, I can't go before you. If high status goes unchecked, things escalate and explode. If low status goes unchecked, nothing happens at all. <laughs> Imagine two people trying to invite the other one to go into the room, and they don't. You've seen this in Looney Tunes, right? And then what happens? They both go, and then they get stuck in the thing, and, you know, and no one enters the room. High status. We all do this. We all do this in our relationships, small ways, sometimes big ways. And Jesus knows this about us. Jesus knows this status game that we like to play with each other. If you don't believe me, imagine, imagine going to the beach. You're going to the beach with your family, and uh, there's already a family on the beach, and you're the only other family that's on the beach. What do you do? Do you set up shop right next to them? Probably not, because then there's the, you have some anxiety, like, should I talk to them? Are we supposed to share hamburgers or something? Like, what are we? But you also don't want to go too far away, because if you go too far away, then you, you're communicating that something's wrong with them, and you don't want to be bothered with them. And how do, so what do we do? We, do, we, we <laughs> sit some ambiguously, culturally defined distance from them, right? Uh, same thing happens if you go into a movie theater. Uh, and there's only one couple in the movie theater, how many of you would sit right next to them? Probably none, right? But you don't want to sit like far away because you don't want to com communicate that there's something wrong with them. Or, and this might seem silly, but this, imagine now going to the beach or going to a movie theater, going somewhere where it's only you and one other person. It might sound silly uh, until we then add the variables of things like race and socioeconomic status or maybe politics. Well, if I sit too close to this person, they, it might, I might be perceived as threatening. Or if I sit too far away from them, then it might seem like there's something wrong. So we do this really unspoken, cultural, ambiguous distance from one another. Also, if you don't think that's true, I should take a, a picture of the sanctuary and, and put, it on, put it on Facebook. It's amazing. You should come early on uh, one Sunday and just kind of see the seat distribution. Someone sits over here and then someone sits over here. And someone sits over here, and then maybe this over It's not like one section fills up and then the other section fills And you'll sit next to your friend. That's not what I'm saying. It's fine. You'll sit next to your friend. But if there's someone that you don't really know, it's a little weird to sit right next to him. It's just cultural because you probably haven't played this status game with them yet. Am I supposed to be important with this person? Am I supposed to be below this person? How does, how does this human interaction work? A lot of times we do this uh, and we're unaware of it. Sometimes we do it and we're very aware of it <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. You've been to church committee meetings. You know what it looks like for someone to play high status and for someone to play low status. A real quick way to gauge this very, very quickly is to, to say, okay, we need to schedule the next meeting. When should we meet? Well, the high status person does something like, okay, well, let me... S no... No, no, I just, unless it's Tuesday at 2.30, I can't make it. I have a lot of, of things. I'm very important. I have a lot. 
the low status person is going to say something like, uh, just pick a date and, and I'll work around it. It's fine. Whatever date you pick is just, it's fine. You've been in these meetings where we play this high status, low status game. The high status person is usually the one who does all the talking, guilty, um, in, in a meeting. You know, and, and, and the low status person usually doesn't say anything, maybe at the very end. It's just a way of how we work together. Just like when I said, having a blind spot is not a sin, not correcting for it just might be. These small and sometimes large human interactions, there's nothing wrong. It's just, it's what we do. It's, and Jesus knows this. This is why I love talking about Jesus being divine, but also very human, fully divine and fully human. Jesus knows this about us. When we look at these texts, it's fascinating. In the first one, Jesus is going to Caesarea Philippi. You must understand, uh, Jesus was a master at dancing between, playing high divine authority, but also playing, playing low, being a servant of all. You know, Jesus set up shop in uh, a town called Capernaum, and Capernaum was a border town in between Herod Antipas's land and Herod Philip's land. So when things heated up with Herod Antipas, he would go across the border into his brother's land. And when things heated up with his brother, he would go back, and Capernaum was in between the two. It's fascinating. Jesus is a master at this. But here's Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, which is in Herod Philip's land, saying, who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, and don't tell anyone. And immediately after claiming, yes, I am the Messiah, he then says, yes, and the Messiah is going to suffer and die and be raised. High divine authority and low the servant of all. Same thing happens when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. If we were to dive into the story uh, a bit further, we would see that Jesus is at the table and he descends the table, takes off his outer robe, which is exactly what the Gospel of John wants us to see from his pro prologue. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and walked among us. Or I like how the message says it, Jesus moved into our neighborhood and was one of us. Jesus takes off his garments and starts to wash the disciples' feet. And you see Peter, Peter has a very big problem with this. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You will never wash my feet. <laughs> and Jesus says, no. Unless I do this, you have no share with me. And then, of course, Peter, being Peter, well, then wash all of me, Jesus, from the head to the toe. No, no, Peter. You're, you're relatively clean. I just need to wash your feet. Slow down. We also see this in the third text, the what's called the Christ hymn from Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equate himself with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself and became the servant of all and then was exalted to sit at the right hand of God. This divine authority, this human lowliness. And Jesus does this throughout his... See, if, if high status goes unchecked, things escalate and blow up. If, thing, if low status goes unchecked, nothing happens at all. Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Very high status question that he's asking. 
So what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm not paying taxes. Forget it. No, that would be a high, you know. How does, Jesus completely diffuses the situation. First he says, well, show me a coin. Very low status answer. Jesus didn't have any money on him. Show me a coin. Oh, this is Caesar's head that's on this. Okay, well, well then, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. Jesus was a master at dancing in between these human interactions. Should we or should we not heal on the Sabbath, Jesus? Very high status question of entrapment. So then Jesus asks them a question. Well, is it better to do good or evil on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees have no answer because they are not well versed in this game of human status. <laughs> These things happen from person to person in small ways and big ways. It also happens corporately. We as followers of Christ, as Christians, we are called together to proclaim Jesus in all of Jesus' offices, is what it's called. Priest, prophet, king, and servant. Another way to describe this is that Jesus is a healer. Jesus is also kingly with full authority. Jesus is also a prophet speaking truth to power to the religious elite. And Jesus is also a servant. One who knew, I love when you hear in scripture, beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. And the only way you recognize somebody's feet is if you have the posture of a servant. Beautiful are the feet. That brings good news. We, as the body of Christ, corporately, are called to do this as a church. We are to proclaim Jesus as a priest, offering healing to those who are suffering. We, as a body of Christ, are also to be prophetic, to speak truth to power to say yes when it needs to be proclaimed, to say no with authority when it needs to be said. We are also to proclaim Christ as a king, to influence culture, to show a different path, to show a way of resurrection. And we're also called to be servants, to be champions of adoption and education, equipping people for a fruitful life. Sam Wells said this in his book, Improvisation, The Drama of Christian Ethics. He said, the tension that runs through Christ's life must likewise run through the heart of the disciple. When to speak with divine authority, when to bow and be a servant, when to speak truth to power, when to simply heal and serve. This series, uh, The Irrational Jesus, was meant to open our eyes to recognize that there is more to Jesus than Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning. If there wasn't, the Gospels would be much, much shorter. When we claim to be a follower of Jesus, a follower of Christ, we are to follow in the way that Jesus lived, in navigating this high status, low status, both healing and speaking truth being kingly, and also a servant. As United Methodists, we talk about grace through three different lenses. And I've mentioned this before, but as a good United Methodist, it's always good to mention it. 
Prevenient grace, God moves toward us first. Justifying grace, the work of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And then there is sanctifying grace, or to be sanctified. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to change who we are. Another way to look at it is imparted righteousness and imputed righteousness. Well, now he's, right, this is just for jeopardy, right? Uh, but every now and again, I have to give you, I paid a lot of money in seminary, so I'm just giving you big words every now and again. Imparted righteousness and imputed. Imputed righteousness is as if, the way to think about it is, Jesus has given us a mantle, has given us a cloak. Because of who Jesus, who Jesus was and what Jesus accomplished, we have inherited the cloak of Christ. Imputed righteousness, something that God has done for us. But there is also imparted righteousness, which is the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might match the garment that we wear through prayer, fasting, devotion, study, mission, service. Jesus gives us this mantle, and then over time, by inviting the Holy Spirit into our life, we begin to look like the mantle we have assumed. And if, you th if this is new, to I, I bet this is not new to you. Those of you who know the old hymns, you've sung this before. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Jesus walking and talking and journeying with us imparts us with righteousness. We are transformed and we are forever changed. God moves toward us. Jesus justifies us, literally squares us up. We're going to talk about building a building in just a little bit and the importance of making sure things are square. Jesus has squared us up, therefore we don't have to justify ourselves anymore. And then the Holy Spirit, through prayer, fasting, worship, feeding, listening, serving, changes who we are. It's important to recognize that we have blind spots. We are not perfect. It's not a sin to have a blind spot. Not correcting for it just might be. We're also called to recognize that this kingdom of God seems completely irrational. The last shall be first until it captures us and it changes our life. And then we must understand how to share this good news throughout the world, knowing when to turn things up a bit, knowing when to turn things down. And knowing the importance of learning how to dance between the two. If we get this right, if we get this right, correcting for our blind spots, recognizing that the kingdom of God nearly isn't as irrational as we think once it captures us and dancing with the world, we just might change the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, you have given us a kingdom, a vision of the world, in which all are called together 
to your table. Father, give us the courage to make room. (laughs) Give us the courage to make room for one another. Give us the courage to work and, and breathe and live with authority when it is called for. And Father, give us the courage to step aside and simply to serve. Father, in all these things, we give you thanks for the grace that reaches out to us before we even know who you are, the grace through the person of Jesus Christ which squares us up with you, and the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit that transforms who we are. In all these things, we give you thanks and praise. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.